This looks like a microcosm of America to me. I didn't vote for Obama, um, basically because I couldn't figure out what his agenda was. He wanted to scream, change, 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 change what? Barack Obama was elected in 2008. I was in the depression for a week because I knew the country was going to be even further on the skids than it's ever been. Whenever the legislators endeavor to take away and destroy the property of the people or to reduce them to slavery under arbitrary power, they put themselves into a state of war with the people who are thereupon absolved for, from any further obedience. Every time Obama comes on the TV, which I watch Fox News all during the day, I switch a channel to the Hallmark Channel to figure he's gone, then I switch it back. It's the policies, it's the socialism, it's the Marxism. We are done backing up. Done. This president's willing to be obsequious to our adversaries, to denigrate our allies. It's his core philosophy of being anti-American. It's a lot like uh, Germany, you know, post-war, pre-war Germany, when they said, go Hitler, and then they thought, oh, crap, this guy's insane. Next April, we're going to celebrate the commemoration of the sesquicentennial of the Civil War. And if uh, things don't change sometime during that commemoration, maybe it's going to give folks ideas about starting it up again. I can't pace around the house gritting my teeth and taking Xanax anymore. i got to get out here and, and do what I can. And that way when the purges do start, they'll know who I am and where to come find me. May 3rd, 2010, you've got Oz in your ears. Radio Free Oz, I'm the host, Peter Bergman, my co-host, David Oz. Hey, Peter, how do you do? How do you do? You know, you caught me while I was uh, fishing out here off the Louisiana coast here. I was just uh, in my boat. I was uh, catching some oil ducks. It's real easy to catch them now. You don't need a gun or nothing. You just, just pick them out of the water. You gotta gotta soak them in alcohol afterward. But hey, it's a lot of fun down here. Well, that's 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 pretty much in your style. You used to use dynamite back in the bayous. Oh, but yeah. Now, yeah, that blow them alligators out of the water, let me tell you that. Well, this is real easy. Yeah, there's a uh, there's just there's just oil everywhere. We'll be talking about that in, in a couple of minutes. It's on everybody's mind. Well, yeah, yeah. that's it. Certainly. Well, I'll go back to my fish. Got one. <laughs> Old timer, man. Old timer comes around. You never know. Right. Can't so tell. you heard those people in our little introduction. They're very, very upset. Yeah. With, yeah. with something. I, I, I saw I saw a bumper sticker, saw a picture of bumper, or a placard of one of those things, and it's on the back of a truck, naturally, and it said um, something like, I'll keep my guns, my freedom, and my money, and you can keep the change. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yes, you can. Yeah. yeah. Yes, we did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, yeah, yeah. So the, it is an indefinite feeling of, you know, where were all of these people when we needed to overthrow Nixon? Oh, or Bush. Or Bush. Well, Either one. Where were they? Well, I don't know. There's this dis-ease. I understand. Lack of control. The oh, not me in the White House. Excuse me, Mr. Carter. You can't use that word. Oh, dis-ease. No, that was malaise. Malaise. Was that dis-ease. Okay. I said malaise. Right. There's, But it's not <clears throat> a disease, but it's a dis-ease. People are really shaken. They don't know what's going on, so let's blame it on the not me. Let's blame it on all people on Obama. This They call him a Maoist and a Marxist. And he's as far from a Maoist and a Marxist as I can imagine. Well, I, that can, I mean, 
What is going to Fox News? Is it Fox News? I mean, is that Generally. what's conditioned? The language. I mean, not conditioned people's minds. They are independent. Well, you heard you heard o- Oliver North calling Obama anti-American. That was on yeah. Hannity. You just uh, that's absolute uh, regular sedition. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. yeah, latest sedition as we call it. Uh, <laughs> latest sedition. Well, <laughs> buy one now. Nehru jackets aren't back. Hula hoops aren't back. Three-tone cars aren't back. What's back is militias. In the months before the 1995 Oklahoma City bombing, there was a new kind of protest movement. It was just beginning to find its voice in the American heartland. Militias and patriot groups burst into the vanguard of a seething anti-government campaign fueled over anger of the Clinton's administration push for landmark gun control legislation. You know, if the guy's frothing at the mouth or has a has a rap sheet as long as his leg, maybe we shouldn't sell him an assault weapon. Okay, that they were unhappy about the gun control legislation and the federal officers' aggressive tactics and high-profile standoffs with groups such as the Branch Davidians in Waco, Texas, and that was a disaster. On April 19th, 1995, that anger erupted. Militia sympathizer Timothy McVeigh detonated a 5,000-pound truck bomb in front of the Murrah Federal Building in Oklahoma City, killing 168 people. At that time, it was the deadliest terrorist attack on U.S. soil, and he wasn't even a Muslim. You know, at the time, I was caught by the irony of the components of that bomb. Diesel fuel and fertilizer. It was diesel fuel and fertilizer that built the planes, and now they're bringing it down. Well, the controversial militia movement waned in the wake of that bombing as groups sought to distance themselves from McVeigh. Fifteen years later, meaning now, analysts say the militia movement is back using some of the same ominous anti-government rhetoric that preceded the Oklahoma City assault and first raised the specter of a larger domestic terror threat. It feels like... The run-up to Oklahoma City, says Mike Potok, the Intelligence Project Director at the Southern Poverty Law Center, which tracks U.S. hate groups. Will we see another Oklahoma City? Nobody can really say. Since 2008, Potok's group has reported dramatic growth in anti-government patriot groups and their militia organizations. Last year, those groups increased to 512 from 149 in 2008, the law center says. Hmm, that's some growth. Quote, this is a broader-based and deeper kind of movement. Today, their ideas have penetrated into the mainstream. It's true. You'll see these extremists... These right-wing extremists on Fox TV, it's, it's mainstream. It's actually, it's the right bank of the mainstream or the right extreme bank of the mainstream. In any case, didn't used to hear this kind of talk on television. Now you're getting it all the time. It's kind of like, it's exciting. It's the new reality show, okay? Now, recently, federal prosecutors charged nine members of that anti-government Christian militia group in Michigan, the Hutteri. They're plotting to kill a police officer and then attack the other officers who gathered for the funeral. You know, it's interesting. You listen to right-wing radio and they say, well, you know, you're blaming the right wing. Oh, aren't the left? The left's really violent. Well, I haven't heard any liberal commentators talk about killing federal officers or using a gun to solve a problem and all, all the other crap that Hannity and the these people are constantly spewing. Well, one of the leaders of the early anti-government movement, John Trockman, whose militia of Montana was formed in the early 1990s, says fresh domestic worries have led to a resurgence that has grown even stronger than the campaign of the 90s. Trockman says they are the financial crisis 
and the related government bailout of the banking industry, passage of the Obama administration's controversial health care legislation, and the United States' recent nuclear arms reduction agreement with Russia. He says these have brought a mass of new faces into the movement. Healthcare was one more straw in the camel's back, Trockman says. Perhaps it's the one that breaks it. Now, wait a minute. Let me get this straight. People are going for guns because there's a financial crisis. Well, I understand that. During the Depression, there was a, a, move, to, a, a move to violence, at least a violent rhetoric, and really hard times can polarize people. Then there's the related the government bailout of the banking industry. They're so angry at that, that they're going to take, you're going to take to the assault rifles? Well, maybe. Passage of the Obama administration's controversial health care legislation. They're getting health care. They're increasing Medicare. They're making things cheaper and better. Let's shoot the bastards. And finally, the United States' recent nuclear arms reduction agreement with Russia. Why? Because that, we're cowards. We're wimps. We're reducing our incredible stockpile of end-of-the-world nukes by, what, a third? And it's time for us, like, pick up that shotgun, Dad, get down to Washington, take care of them bozos. So, in Oklahoma City, where the site of McVeigh's attack has been transformed into a moving memorial, Carl Watkins says the current political climate is, quote, eerily similar to what preceded McVeigh's assault 15 years ago. Watkins is executive director of the Oklahoma City Memorial and Museum. He says, there is a similar frustration with government at all levels, she says. This is some of the same anxiety. Our challenge is settling that anxiety down. Bill Clinton agrees. Bill says that there are legitimate comparisons to be drawn between today's grassroots anger and the resentment toward the government and the right-wing extremism that bubble up prior to the Oklahoma bombing. He says, making comparisons between the two times is a legitimate thing to do, but I think it's important to draw the contrast between what happened then and what's happening now in America. Like today, the former president pointed out, many Americans were out of work and trying to figure out where they fit in. Maybe that's the clue. I think it's the sense of powerlessness that is driving all of this. A lot of these people, you take a look at the teabaggers, and they're not the most extreme. I mean, you know, they're not. But you take a look at most of the pictures of the extreme groups, and they're older, and they're white, and they're basically male. Not all, but that preponderance. And these are people that grew up, like myself, thinking, it's a white man's world. It's a middle-class white dude's world. Step aside. Well, those things are changing, as we all know. Well, we're in a depression, which takes away all of that economic security. Women's rights, bless them. Uh, minority rights, uh, gay rights, all kinds of rights that uh, weren't even wrongs back then have, have come to the fore and are making progress. So these people are really upset. They're feeling powerless. They don't rule the world anymore. My answer their answer? Hmm. My answer is like, get a life. Their answer is, get a gun. Your secret's out, but you don't want to know what it was all about. Oh. Oh. You close your eyes. Skies, oh, oh. 
Hello, dear friends, this is Alistair Crowley, owner and operator of Duke of Madness Motors here at the edge of the New World Freeway. And you know, there's a lot of things going on in this town of ours that none of us has really gotten out of our car to really see. 
You can drive north and south in any direction in just a short time to see more wonderful and truly real things than are happening when you drive by. And that's because of the wonderful automobile that you have the pleasure to buy to get there in the first place. Safe and first and unconscious of the economy. It's so quiet. We're all, just like this little auto robot here, I'm thinking, a lot shorter than we used to be. And this little guy here we're talking about can have just as many wonderful needs at home as anybody else. And to get him home, to get all of us watching home, he has to be taken out to run over the streets. And the kids, and what about the cats and the dogs? Pick them up and put them in the robot and bring them down to Duke of Madness Motors and we'll fit them each out with a robot of their own so they can get out around and see it too. Keep watching and you'll see we're always welcome to meeting strangers and wives and discounting everything that happens here at Duke of Madness Mufflers every day that remains from noon to noon. Thank you. Michael Steele of the Republican National Committee has done it again. He's taken a few days off from those virtual lesbian strip clubs uh-huh. and has put together a fundraising letter that looks like a census form. The Republican Party is seeking input and money from GOP voters seemingly under the guise of the U.S. Census Bureau. Ooh, strength is, quote, strengthening our party for the 2010 elections is going to make a massive grassroots effort all across America. That is why I have authorized authorized a census to be conducted of every congressional district in the country, GOP Chairman Michael Steele says in a letter mailed nationwide. It gets worse, okay, because this really looks like a census form. The letter was sent in plain white envelopes marked Do Not Destroy official document labeled 2010 Congressional District Census. The letter uses a capital C, the same as the Census Bureau. It also includes a census tracking code and... Get this, all right? The letter makes a plea for money and accompanies a form asking voters to identify their political leanings and issues important to them. There are no disclaimers that participation in the GOP effort is voluntary. Participation in the government census is required by law. Failure to participate, $5,000 fine, rarely enforced. Okay, so Sarah Sendak, a Republican National Committee spokesman, said the letter was not an attempt to mislead voters. She says the document clearly indicates it's an RNC mailer. Well, how about that, David? Yeah, well, I, I've tried to read my copy of this now. Oh, you have a, you have a copy? Uh, our, my census tracking code is number S. That's a, a 10HR098. And uh, it says here, this is an official document. No, really, Pete, it says, Your participation is greatly needed and appreciated. Strengthening our party, capital P, for the 2010 elections will take a massive grassroots effort. Yep. As a key facet of of our overall campaign strategy, the Republican Party is conducting a census, capital C, of congressional districts all across America. The opinions registered in this document will be used to help ensure that our Republican leaders and candidates are specifically addressing those issues most important to voters in your area. Well, if I wasn't a really sensitive and on-top-of-it political type, I'd be fooled by that, i.e. if I was just an average person. I think if you're an average person and you get this in the mail, you've heard a lot of stuff on television. Here on Section 5, which is the back page. Section 5. <laughs> yeah. Section 8 comes next, and it's a four-page document. Section 5, Census Certification and Reply. One, can the Republican Party count on your support to help strengthen our party for the 2010 elections? There's a box that says yes. 
<laughs> There's no box that says no. No, there is no box But that I says thought no. the GOP said only no. Maybe this is their turning. No. They're becoming the party of yes. But they do hereby, one has to hereby certify that the answers <laughs> to the enclosed census are my own and sign it. So just to let you know, here's the major issues here on, would you like national defense, major issues in national defense, or, or, do you, or here's one for what you. About, what about uh, same-sex marriage laws will make well, people that, marry horses? This do, you is, this is, do you believe, this is number 16 in section 3, do you believe the Republican Party should continue to embrace social issues? Yes, no, undecided. If yes... <laughs> Please register your opinion on the following social issues. I want to pretend to be this person. Okay, well, number one. one is support, two is oppose, and three is no opinion. So now, uh, here, here are the, there are six things plus other, of course. Go. Always the other. Always the other, the <laughs> okay. not me. Here we go. School prayer. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I, school prayer. School I, prayer. Yeah, well, I think I oppose it. And then again, I don't. Okay. Uh, ban burning of the flag. No, you can burn the flag, but not in my backyard. Okay. Uh, ban human cloning. That's a tough one. I'm going to have to talk to my, my double about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, faith-based initiatives. Support, oppose, no opinion. Faith-based initiatives. Well, Bush pushed forward all those faith-based initiatives, and a lot of them turned out to be organizations that wouldn't let homosexuals in. So I'm going to have to say no. No on that one. Yeah. All right. Uh, ban all abortions. All abortions? All, all, all. Including previous abortions. And everyone that's ever happened. And, and because the future, remember the crispy uh, crispy bread, because right. the future can come uh-huh. to the... So all future abortions also have to be outlawed. And uh, prohibit same-sex marriage. Those are the six issues on social issues. Pro- Aren't those great social pro- issues? Prohibit, ban, ban, ban. There's yeah. three bans and one prohibit. And there's no support to speak of. But, Su- support but, immunization of children. Uh, support Head Start. Support this, support that. No, it's just don't you dare get married to that man because you're a man, yeah. I think. Well, I, I just want to leave you with this one one worry, yeah. okay, that the Republicans would like to leave you with. <laughs> They'd like to take your money and leave you with this. Do you worry that Russia is moving away from its relationship with the U.S. and trying to reestablish itself as a military and economic superpower? Goad Sibayan went prospecting recently in the remote Philippine highlands, known as the Cordaria. He clambered up and then down a narrow rocky footpath that snaked around some hills, paying no heed to coffins that, in keeping with a local funeral tradition, hung very conspicuously from the surrounding sheer cliffs. Well, that's not exactly my idea of a place to go prospecting, but it might be worth it. I mean, what's he looking for? Gold? Emeralds? Hidden treasure? No. No, something far more exotic. He reaches a valley where coffee beans are growing abundantly. Goed scans the undergrowth where he knows the animals would relax after picking the most delicious coffee cherries with their claws and feasting on them with their fangs. His eyes settle on a light brownish clump atop a rock. He holds it in his right palm and gently slipping it into a little black pouch whispers, Gold. Gold? Well, not quite. But Mr. Sibion's prize was the equivalent in the world of rarefied coffees. Dung containing the world's most expensive coffee beans. 
Costing hundreds of dollars a pound, these beans are found in the droppings of the civet, a nocturnal, furry, long-tailed, cat-like animal that prowls Southeast Asia's coffee-growing lands for the tastiest, ripest coffee cherries. Now, let me see if I've got this right. The civet eats the cherries, what they call the coffee beans before they're dried, which when that's how normally we roast them. And then they digest them and expels them in their feces. And you grab these and you wipe off all the feces and you roast it and it makes the best coffee in the world. Okay, hey, I live on a great planet. Now, the civet eventually, as we know, excretes the hard, indigestible innards of the fruit. He'd better or he'll die. These are essentially incipient coffee beans, though only after they've been fermented in the animal's stomach acids and enzymes to produce a brew described as smooth, chocolatey, and devoid of any bitter aftertaste. What? As connoisseurs... Well, actually, I think Freakoids fits it better. In the United States, Europe, and Asia have discovered civet coffee in recent years. There's been this growing demand fueling this gold rush in the Philippines and Indonesia, the countries where the largest civet populations exist. Harvesters are scouring forest floors in the Philippines where civet coffee has emerged as a new business in Indonesia where the coffee has a long history, enterprising individuals are capturing civets and setting up mini farms, often in their backyards. See, they're not growing weed. They're chasing civet crap. Why? Because the pre-digested beans go for $227 a pound. Hey, barista, set me up with another cup of that drip cat crap coffee. Still to play. <laughs> oh, Peter, that's a great story. That is really a terrific story. <laughs> civet, civet, uh, coffee. Yeah, what, what, what euphemism are you using? <laughs> well, you know, I, I was always astounded that Blue Mountain coffee was like twenty-seven dollars a pound, and then I found out that the Germans had uh, uh, put um, a hold on it. They had cornered the market, you know, uh, by buying huge amounts of futures of Blue Mountain. Um, that's why it's so expensive. But two two twenty-seven a pound. That's wholesale to them. I mean, that that means like five six hundred a pound in the stores. Who's paying that? Yeah, well, not many people are paying that, but what it does uh, indicate is that there is a real market here for uh, more than just high-end coffee. I mean, we're not talking about the Rolex of coffees here. No, no. We're talking about one of those Adamar Puget guys with the with the <laughs> diamonds around the rim, and you can see, you know, 500 gears moving inside this, and people buy them. Well, and if you pay that for civet coffee, you're not going to go, ah! This tastes like cat crap. <laughs> no, you're, you're not, not gonna. You're not gonna do that. You're gonna mmm, mm, throaty uh, uh, feces lined aroma with a mmm, mm, with a nice kind of uh, shitey upchuck, mm, kind mm. of flemish. Mm. And they they said uh, yeah. uh, in another article that it was the Dutch traders who first discovered this and developed a taste for it. Well, they were living out there in Indonesia with no women, going crazy with malaria. So cat. Crap coffee must have tasted real good to them. Well, there's some. I've had some coffee on Whidbey <laughs> Island that tastes like cat crap. I'll tell you that. But uh, I don't think it came from uh, Indonesia. No, you know, there's a lot of coffee here. I don't. Uh, 
people must know that um, that coffee really came from Washington State originally. All those other stories about foreign countries and, and no, exotic it, islands. It, it grew here in those what they call those mini regions of heat. Sometimes only like four or five hundred square feet in the midst of all the rain and yeah. gloom and greenery. There's this hot spot, and right. that's where we grow coffee. It's Micronesian climate, right, right. there. It's exactly, a little Micronesian climate, yeah. Psst, and that coffee grows, and then they put a little booth around it. And uh, and uh, the and then there is something here called a barista. Now I know that word has gone around uh, the country. It does not necessarily just mean girls or female people because it ends with an a. You can be a male barista, not a baristo. I is, don't know why. Is that right? Because you speak real Spanish. No, I know that. well, it's not. It's real Washington. This oh. is all about. This is all about Washington State, where the where the coffee comes from. Well, they're too busy drinking coffee to to uh, you know take care of the uh, endings, the female and male endings of their Spanish words. Probably it is barista, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't. It matter. really doesn't and matter. It, coffee. I got to tell you. Yeah. Man, I I think about the fact that. I look back and I say, coffee has been really important in my life for a long, mm-hmm, long time. Mm-hmm. Then I read these wonderful tales of, uh, you know, post-Elizabethan England and 18th century and 17th century England, where everything was around the chocolate and the coffee houses yeah, and all, yeah. of, all of the poets and all of the businessmen, all the ones that did stock trading and everything. It's all done in coffee houses and chocolate houses. You know, tea came later, so... Uh, oh, yeah. The, no, that was... Because it was the, the social mixing device. Vice, you know, was coffee and chocolate. It kind of got you up a little bit. Oh, a lot. Ready a- to go, you know, ready to do the next trade, ready to talk about the next poem, ready to write the next book. Uh, ready to, to ignore the fact that it's cold and wet mm. and dank and dreary and everybody in the place has got bad teeth. No, you're drinking yourself a nice cup of coffee. Well, if <clears throat> we we uh, didn't exactly meet there, of course, Pete, but we have met often at 1504, yes. the local coffee shop that uh, we often go to here, right on Whidbey Island. Yeah, in Freeland. I said I'd mention it. They're going to give me some free coffee now. Oh, you know? okay. Oh, this this just screws us for National oh, Public Radio. Man, We're we gone. Go. It's We're hopeless. gone. It's all over. Here's a Facebook page created by an anonymous user, and it reads, Dear Lord. This year, you took my favorite actor, Patrick Swayze. You took my favorite actress, Farrah Fawcett. You took my favorite singer, Michael Jackson. I just wanted to let you know my favorite president is Barack Obama. Amen. My, oh my, I didn't know you could have anonymous Facebook pages. I didn't either. Well, <clears throat> since this was posted, more than 950,000 Facebook users indicated that they liked the page. That's when you uh, give the thumbs up. Right, Who right. are these bloody idiots? And a steady stream of comments on the page's wall showed a relatively active membership. Facebook spokesman Andrew Noyes said that though the anti-Obama page, quote, may be considered distasteful and objectionable to some, to some... Just to some, some think is what? It's the height of probity? Uh, it doesn't violate Facebook's policies. They do have a policy, though, because in September 2009, Facebook removed a poll asking if Obama should be killed. A poll. A poll. After the Secret Service received a tip and contacted the company. Well, what I say, David, if that's your intent, if prayer doesn't work, try pie. Pie. Yes, you see, try Ronald pie. Reagan loved jelly beans. Right, right. Bill Clinton binged big time on McDonald's. Yeah. What's President Obama's weak spot? Pie. Pie. Can't get enough of it. So really? if you don't want the not me, you know, if you want the not me out of the White House, mm-hmm. send him pie in pie. the mail. Not store-bought junk, 
but homemade pie. Put a lot of lard in the dough makes it extra <laughs> flaky and extra dangerous. You better get out in the kitchen and rattle those pots and pie pans. Recently, the leader of the newly communist socialist Maoist cabal was declared in excellent health by his doctors. He's an avid basketball player and golfer who says he eats modest portions of pie. So come on, patriots. Carpet bomb the White House with smart pies. Blueberry, rhubarb, Dutch apple, Boston cream, one lucky hit, and all your problems will be over. Mm, splat. Well, that's it. That <laughs> pie the prez. Pie the prez. What? Now, now here's now, let me uh, just broach the subject of uh, what would happen if we suggested that you pie, let's say, for example, out of the available uh, gods around Jesus. What if you pied Jesus. Well, there would be a, a lot of uproar, you uh-huh. know, and people yeah. would call us blasphemers, probably, you know, and yeah. blasphemers. Blasphemers. Yeah. yeah, but we're not saying pie Jesus. No, no, I no. understand. No. What if we said, for example, pie, let's say. Uh, George Bush. George Bush. What, pie what George Bush. Pie? Well, George there'd be Bush. cheering uh-huh. from some. Probably 950,000 people would like it. Would Maybe like 9,500,000 mm-hmm. people would like it. What I don't like is 950,000 people put thumbs up for a prayer for the death of the president. Something is wrong out there, man. Yuck. Somebody's smoking the wrong stuff. Uh, I, I don't know. Um, and, and that kind of, you know, feeling uh, is, is is all over the place that I already talked about the fact that the militias are back. And Obama says it reminds him of the time before the Oklahoma City bombing. So this sort of stuff, maybe this is considered cute. You know? Yeah, I think cute is probably it. Yeah, but but it's, but it's not cute. It's really not cute. I mean, you can turn it around into uh, into pieing pieing the president, and uh, even so, you'd get stopped immediately by the Secret Service with that pie. You you cannot. Bring their favorite. Bring the bring the lemon meringue because the Secret Service, the Secret loves, Service loves lemon, loves lemon meringue. It's also the best pie to pie. It is. It is. Actually, I wonder what Obama's favorite pie is. Well, we'll just have to find out. Drill, baby, drill. With a vast oil slick now within only 20 miles of the ecologically fragile Louisiana coastline, Coast Guard officials may be attempting a controlled burn of the petroleum on the surface of the Gulf of Mexico, according to a Twitter from Fox News. Crews have not been able to stop thousands of barrels of oil from spewing out of the seafloor since an April 20th explosion destroyed the Deepwater Horizon, which was drilling 50 miles off the Louisiana coast. 50 miles off the coast. Goodness gracious. 11 workers are missing and presumed dead, and the cause of the explosion has not been determined. An estimated 5,000 gallons a day are now spilling into the Gulf of Mexico five times the original estimate. Quote, if we don't secure this well, this could be one of the most significant oil spills in U.S. history, said Coast Guard Rear Admiral Mary Landry. A similar burn off the coast of Newfoundland in 1993 eliminated 50 to 99% of the captured oil. However, burning the oil also creates air pollution and the effects on marine life is unclear. Plus, that was in still water. This is uh, at sea, choppy waves. It's also a very heavy tar oil, maybe very difficult to burn. We won't know until they do it or try to do it. Wind projections indicated that the oil would reach land within... Four days, and it's unclear exactly where along the Gulf Coast it might arrive first. 
Quote, but if some of the present weather conditions continue, the Delta area is at risk, said a spokesman for the National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration. The area of Louisiana endangered by the massive spill contains 40% of the nation's wetlands. Let me repeat that. 40% of the nation's wetlands and is the spawning grounds for countless fish and birds. An executive of BP, which leases the platform, said their plan to use a type of tent or dome to collect the oil was progressing and was two to four weeks from being operational. Two to four weeks, 5,000 gallons a day. Four weeks, 28 times five, ah, 125,000 gallons of oil. The company also has received permits to drill a relief well, which would be started half a mile from the current well site. Crews plan to drill toward the current well and then inject it with heavy fluids and concrete to seal it. That solution is experimental at the required depth and is months away. I saw it. Donald Trump recently on uh, Larry King saying, you know, uh, there's oil all around us waiting to be drilled. Well, yeah, guess what? There's oil all over the water just waiting to be scooped up. You know, don't drill, baby, drill, scoop, baby, scoop. You're right on that one, Pete. Uh, Scoop, baby, scoop. Yeah. Who knows over the over the uh coming few days what may happen with uh, you know when the oil hits the everglades something something tells me that the you know we've had hurricanes we've had it's uh, the it's the the earth is shaken around here maybe it's telling the south you know to uh, mend their ways uh, politically i don't know and this this isn't even like global warming and this isn't some sort of a hurricane cycle this is somebody drilling drilling with 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 faulty equipment the valve that was supposed to stop all this oh don't worry we're just throw this switch in the valve Ah, doesn't work. So 5,000 gallons coming out. This is totally man-made horror. BP was asked to, uh, uh, you know, toughen up the safety a while ago, and they said, we're doing fine. We're just doing fine. And they'll write this off. They'll get some bad publicity. And then like Dana Lyons says, they'll come along and they'll greenwash. They'll get all these environmentalists put on these big environmental fairs, and there will be their logo all in green, by the way. BP. Yeah. That's British Petroleum. Well, it means be patient. The the scandal. (laughs) will go away you're right it is crazy and that's why when i see you know sarah palin yelling drill baby drill and everybody screaming i'm thinking they're not paying attention they really don't get it in the best sense well it it, it's it's the country is so impoverished that the men who live in that part of louisiana and uh, uh mississippi there's no other work. I mean, there's no, there's nothing for them to do but go work oil rigs. The money's good, and they it's know a, it's dangerous. It's oh always yeah. been dangerous. Oh yeah. Well, all that stuff, oh, coal mining. We're talking about to retrieve fossil fuel yeah. is a dangerous, dirty occupation. It it really is. Um, it, it says something about the country that so many people are dependent on these occupations, which are killers, you know? know? They they call um, fossil fuels a wasting resource in economics, meaning, you know, you use it, it's gone. But it's not only wasting the resource, it's wasting the people who are bringing out the wasting resource. And we talk about, well, you know, you know, it's going to be okay. 
because we're going to replace these jobs with green jobs, right? Green jobs. The problem is, of course, as a couple of economists have said, we've spent so much capital in Iraq, <laughs> you yeah. know, in, in, in General Motors and in all the other things that we don't have the capital to create the green jobs through the, the green infrastructure. We don't have the money. Isn't it interesting that uh, Ken Salazar has okayed the big wind farm off the Massachusetts coast. Um, there's still a lot of objection to that. Once again, this is supposed to have a lot of jobs. Uh, now, I don't know about racing your, your yacht between these things, but I think that will become a sport for, you know, the people who live uh, on, on the Cape. They'll say, okay, let's go and race the shoop. You know, it's like Disneyland for people with yachts. Whatever happened to granddaddy? Uh, well, you know, he was taken out by a wind machine when he did that big race that just shook and he was gone. But he's a hero to all us greens. Yeah, and now instead of just one boat, he's got two. <laughs> Cut him right in half. My heart is black That frozen blood Rip out my hair And my blood flows through The cleansing sweat The leaks you pour Drafts down the walls As we lick the floors Oh yeah Just gone insane And I hear you laughing at me But I don't know what to say My heart is crying But the blood won't seem to drain Oh yeah our thoughts when we eat up that hot night and i hear you laughing at me but i don't know what to say my heart is crying but the blood won't seem to drain 
devil sticks his hand in my head and tinkers with my brain And I lose the will to speak cause we've both just gone insane And I hear you laughing, I hear you laughing at me I hear you, I hear you, I can't hear you And now, a pause in the busy day's activity. As the doctor leaves his little rectumary, walks out the marble path, covered with Aggies and cat's eyes from his youth, down the long path of life, past the elm grove of superstition, and toward the true way. Yes, it's Dr. Whiplash. And he's come again to the font of perpetual resurrection <laughs> to answer some of your questions. Come in, Doctor. Dave, what's the first question? Well, I have a letter here from uh, a gentleman in uh, Flotsam's Mistake, New Jersey. <coughs> and uh, actually, he's been kind enough to send this letter in on a tape cassette for you, Doctor, so we'll hear his voice, and you can use his voice to help you analyze the problem. It's a novel idea. Dear Dr. Whiplash, I am a Japanese businessman. Why have I written before? So I still suffering from the same complaint. I only suffer in the office during the day. At night, I eat out and feel better. And although I can't sleep, it's because of a part of my noise. What should I do? Uh, still, uh, Hideo Gump. <sighs> Dear Hideo, your symptoms are shared by people other than your race. To wit, many executives complain to me uh, as suffering from flushing, blushing, running of the mouth, high stool, seat cramps, delayed borgerigmus, and shortness of pants. They also, like you, feel relieved of these symptoms away from the orifice. <coughs> Can anything be done? Yes. And it should be done now. They, and you, Hideo, are suffering from farmer's lung, usually confined to barns and sponge warehouses. It is attributable to a hybrid fungus, which lodges in the massive air conditioning systems that supply oxygen of sorts to the big buildings that your daddy works in. Although the same bug can be found in home furnaces, it's often uh, re rendered ineffectual due to the fact that poor people can't afford air conditioning and are forced to run their furnaces to heat their homes during the summer. This fries the fungus. <clears throat> we doctor people use the word microsporifera funni in referring to this little pest. 
and literally it can be translated as funny spores, long known as the cause of Theodore's disease, running sores and athletes' feet. Recently, this microscopic troublemaker has also been blamed in the nasty disease labeled Hartman's palsy, formerly Strassman syndrome, the only cure for which is death. I'll answer any questions, dear friends. Just write me if you still have the strength. Until next week, this is Dr. Whiplash. I'm out for lunch. <laughs> Holy moly, listen to this. Most young adults today don't pray, don't worship, and don't read the Bible, a major survey by a Christian research firm shows. If the trends continue, quote, the millennial generation will see churches closing as quickly as GM dealerships, says Tom Rainer, president of Lifeway Christian Resources. In the group survey of 1,218 to 29-year-olds, 72% say they're really more spiritual than religious. Among the 65% who call themselves Christian, many are either mushy Christians or Christians in name only, Rainer says. Most are just indifferent. The more precisely you try to measure their Christianity, the fewer you find committed to the faith. Here's some key findings in the phone survey, which was conducted in August and released recently. 65% rarely or never pray with others, and 38% almost never pray by themselves. 65% rarely or never attend worship services. 67% don't read the Bible or sacred texts. The study found 7 in 10 Protestants ages 18 to 30, both evangelical and mainline, who went to church regularly in high school, said they quit attending by age 23. And 34% of those had not returned, even sporadically, by age 30. Well, you know, America is the most church-going nation in the world. Still is. This looks like a different trend. It looks like people are becoming more spiritual. I know to some really deep evangelicals, spiritual means new age, and new age means the devil is speaking through their mouths. That's the devil's crystal, the devil's pyramid, the devil's word, holism. I wonder if it's that. I wonder if there'll be a return. Maybe it's Maybe it's the materialism. Maybe it's all these zillions of images that are constantly besieging us, none of which are even very spiritual, let alone religious. Maybe there's no time for religion. Maybe the discipline is broken down. Had to go to church every Sunday or get whipped or whatever it was. No, that's not true anymore. There's a new temple. It's called the Super Bowl or something very much like it. So I don't know. I mean... um, L. Ron Hubbard said, you want to make money, start a religion. Well, Scientology is a religion, at least officially, because it doesn't pay taxes. So the federal government comes along and says, this is a religion. And it's doing well, you know, and some of the other pseudo-religions are just clomping along. But to be a Christian or a Jew or a Muslim or a Hindu or whatever takes some serious thought. And people just probably just don't have time, or maybe they just don't have the attention span. Well, what do you think, Dave? Well, I think that, uh, well, where's, where, don't you have a church app 
for your iPhone. That's a very good idea. You, you go make to a church, fortune. Yeah, you got a church app on your phone. You show up because your phone is always with you. So naturally, you know, you're going to show up and uh, or it's going to show up because it's always with you. And then you just press the little steeple thing yeah. or or whatever um, sign you would want to have steeple on your- Steeple for the people. Steeple for the people. You steeple for it. the people dot, dot uh, app. Yeah. And then bang, you go to that and it takes you right to the church of your choice. Well, that's where I go, by the way. I go to the church. Church of of your choice. Church of my choice. It was started Uh, by Pastor Flash. mm -hmm. You you know, the the mega churches, it's interesting because if if you look at the amount of people who are religious and going to church, they're being clustered into these mega churches. And what what they're doing is is they're... Say, don't come to us on the big holidays. We don't have room. We can only seat 14,000. Take this DVD of Easter, send it to you, mm. and have Easter at home with us. Yeah. So if that's yeah. religion, then the, then the numbers are bigger than we ever thought. One other thing they said, yeah. they said that if, if the trend with the millennials continues the same as it's going now, that churches will be closing as quickly as GM dealerships, why not convert the GM dealerships into churches? i.e. in 1984, wasn't the, the great Lord called our Ford? Yes. Our Ford. Our Ford. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, the church of our Ford. It's, the name's still right up there. That isn't GM, but it doesn't matter. Yeah, no, I, I, think, I, I think that the windows on car dealerships are really big and open, and I think that's very good. Let's in a lot of spiritual light. Oh, was spiritual the word? Yeah, yeah spiritual is good. 72% spiritual. That's okay. Also, okay. also, you can keep some of the same signage, you know. What a deal, you know? Half off, half off. Sins, remission of your sins, half off. Half off today. Yeah, Yeah, right. Walk in a sinner, walk out a winner. You know, the weird thing is, of course, in, in, in England, in the Anglican church, it's in a riot going on now riotous because the, the there's the the regular church people have women and gays and and there are the huge african churches very conservative that are going to split away from the and, and you know because this anglican convention like wants to absorb everybody like the catholic church and can't it, do it can't do it people are going to be schismatic forget about it well and and, and we talk about african-american churches the evangelical churches and anglican churches particularly anglican churches Churches in Africa are very, very conservative and couldn't imagine either having women up on the pulpit or uh-huh. homosexuals next to you in the congregation. It's, it's a real split, a real split. Later, we're going to be talking about uh, homosexuality in the army and what the, ca- uh, what the chaplains think about that. Hmm, more religion? That's just about it for Radio Free Oz, but we can't end a show without a poem. Dave. Yes, and a new word. This is from the Cyber uh, War world. Uh, It's called malware. Malware. Serves our anxiety. Spoons out ones and noughts. Forks the once singular path. Knifes our lifelines. And guys named Kim raise chopsticks above our uncollective noodles. Hey, no politics at all can really give a nation focus, right? That's Radio Free Oz for today. I'm your host, Peter Bergman, my co-host, David Osman, the Oz team. John Cumming is our ones and zeros wizard. Phil Fountain, CEO of the Oz Design Group, keeps things real pretty on RadioFreeOz.com. Take a trip up there and look. Dave Maloney, 
owns Blue U Studios, which is Oz Central and does all of our audio engineering. Him real good. And our general producer is Bill McIntyre. See you tomorrow. Will, will, will I see you tomorrow? See you radio is that, you know, I'll figure it out.